I'll explain this as we go along. I mentioned last week, not understanding what God said clearly in this, these passages caused me a lot of sorrow in my life. And I'll explain it as we go along, and I'm going to bring some show and tell. <clears throat> and hopefully, by God's grace, I know he'll use his word. The reason we're covering this, as you see the title, and I'll read the context that we're still on the slide, this passage, the, deep, the depths or the deep things of God, seems rather cryptic, and so those who would promote something that's really not what Paul is talking about, glom on to things that are hard to understand or they were questions that were asked of him or claims made by Corinth. And so those are the things, the less clear things, that the false teachers like to use to create a group that really isn't what Paul had in mind. So by God's grace, today we'll look at that. Let me read the context while we're on this slide. I've already covered verses 6 through 9, but one at a time, basically. Let me read that, and then we'll go to the uh, next slide. We do, however, verse 6, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's wisdom hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That was verse 8. Verse 9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. So let's go to verse 9b to get back to the middle of where we were last time, and I'll give you another overview here and then explain why this is so essential and why we need to understand Paul's point. So transition and overview. Notice it said, not have entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us it has been revealed through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? Thus also no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. This seems confusing. I'll admit that. And what does this mean? I've spent years looking at this, and I spent probably the first seven, eight years of my Christian life looking for something that was not revealed that the spiritual person could get. I wanted to be the spiritual man. But I now realize that Paul isn't adding confusing topics here that are designed only for some Christians. He's clarifying the error that deceived the Corinthian church. So today, I hope to show you from the scriptures itself 
that we don't know who the good Christians and the bad Christians are, but we know that we're not of the world and that God has forgiven our sins and cleansed us and that we are one in Christ. So this word prepared, I, I talked about that last week, prepared, etoimazo, is used here as something God's done. And last week I mentioned that that's also found in John 14, 2 and 3. If you weren't here, you might want to jot this down. But let me reiterate. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This was spoken as a promise to the disciples that God had prepared a place for them and that they were safe and secure in the promises of God. We cited some other passages. But at this point, I want to go to verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2.10. And here is where we need to really focus and look at the scholarship, look at the text, look at the context, and I'll share some things about how this became clear through what the Bible actually says, not what some mystics claim they knew that we don't. 1 Corinthians 2.10, For to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Depths of God, or the deep things of God, depending on your translation. That phrase, the deep things of God, when I was a new Christian, that's what I wanted to learn. And so I wanted to learn how to get revelations, tap into the world of my inner spirit that was somehow connected to God, and learn these deep things of God that ordinary Christians didn't know. So I'm confessing that that was wrong, and it took me many years, and at the same time not listening to people who tried to help me to realize the deep things of God are actually Christ crucified and the implications thereof, not something that some higher order Christians know that the rest of us adults don't. Do you know anybody who wants to be adult? Well, I sure didn't. So let me cite some scholars. Here's, let me tell the story and then tell you why we need scholarship. When I first started on this process of becoming the spiritual, spirit-led Christian that knew the deep things of God, I was told by some teachers at Bible college, some solid ones, stay in the Greek, learn the Bible, stay within the boundaries of the Bible, because otherwise you're going to get in trouble. But I didn't want to listen. And so at the time... Some teachers saw me walking around with this book, The Spiritual Man, and one teacher in particular who helped me the most said, that's going to get you in trouble. But, didn't, but he didn't know exactly how to say it was wrong. 
So I went on my quest. Let me cite some things from some scholars. For here, it says, for the Spirit searches all things. For to us. There's a textual issue. And the issue is, is this a contrast to what we've learned already, starting something different, or is it a continuation, or is it explanatory? After looking at this carefully from the Greek and looking at the evidence, it's explan- excuse me, it's explanatory, not adversative, meaning Paul's not switching to something else. Paul's not switching to something that only the mature, the higher order Christians, the spiritual Christians, the enlightened Christians, the Christians that know something that you don't know. He's explaining that what God has for us is found in what God had already given them through the gospel. And it didn't matter whether they were of Paul or Paulus or dividing up the church. It was what God had given them. So they're revealed through the Spirit, meaning not mystically, but objectively. Now, who are these persons to us? Does it mean some Christians or all Christians? I thought it meant some Christians. I was wrong. It's to those who know Christ through faith, believing the truth of the gospel, those who believed that God actually did what he said he would do. He sent God the Son, second person of the Trinity, who died for sins, who lived a sinless life, who predicted his own death and burial. And it happened. He was crucified. He died for sins. He was raised on the third day. He showed himself to many witnesses and bodily ascended to heaven and promised that he would come again. That's the gospel. This isn't something else, and I'll give as many illustrations as I can to make that clear. For the Spirit searches all things. So to us, my claim is, are to those who love him, verse 9, which are Christians. We love him because he first loved us. Preached on that last week. What is it that's revealed? Christ crucified the true power and wisdom of God. Those are the categories. Let's continue to try to understand. Now, while we're on the slide, I want to cite scholars. The first one is from the New American Commentary, um, Dr. Taylor. I'm going to cite this. The context, however, supplies that Paul is speaking of God's plan of salvation in Christ crucified. Furthermore, what God has prepared for those who love him says Taylor, is glory, 1 Corinthians 2.8. Paul's language of the deep things of God, he says, corresponds to his analogous exclamation in Romans 11.33. Now, jot this one down on your notes there if you have a pen. Maybe you're not like me and you remember really well. I not only have to jot it down, I have to use different colored pens. But eventually, it gets in there. This is mentioned in Romans. Let me cite how he translates this. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, Paul said. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. 
as Dr. Taylor's quotation or translation. So the depths of God are what's revealed in Christ. Now some secret, some Christians know. Continuing, he says in Ephesians 3.8, Paul speaks of preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God. I'll end that quotation. My claim, and I believe that I can back this up from Scripture, is that what's revealed is for the whole church. What's revealed is grounded in Christ crucified. That the scriptures proclaim the truth of what God has done and is doing in Christ and what he will do. And that everyone who knows God is born of the Spirit because God changed us by his grace. Here's something that is just ground zero for preachers and teachers and all of us. If you're born of God, you're born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. The clearer, the, the more boldly and clearly and forthrightly we teach the scriptures, the work of the Spirit will be changing us. If we teach Christ crucified and all of the promises that we have in Christ and how we know him, those who hunger for the truth will want to hear that and will grow thereby. And so that's why we need to go back to what the scripture says. One more scholar, uh, actually two, Kiampa and Rosner, uh, have a combined work. I'll just say this much. Paul's point in all these passages, they say, is that the work of the Spirit remains inseparable from the work of God as revealed in Christ. And so I'll just stop right there. Why so many scholars? Because when I needed to learn these things, I couldn't find a commentary that explained it to me. And so the people that claim they had the deep things of God could get by with it because it was not that clear. Why wouldn't it be clear? Because the Corinthians, something was going on. Chloe's people told Paul about it, and there had been correspondence, but we don't know what it is. So what we know, we have to look behind the issues that are going on. What are the sects, the groups, the partisan people? What is it all about? What were they saying? What were they claiming? What are these deep things of God? I hope to show you today that it's really Christ crucified, not some secret. So, the work of God is revealed in Christ. Let's go to verse 11. This one, frankly, baffled me until last week. And I needed an analogy, so I tried it out on a few of people that I've talked to, and I think this will help. Let's read it, 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who among men knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Thus also no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So what is that all about? I think it's simpler than we realize It's a lesser to greater analogy. Somebody used that terminology, and it made things really come alive in my mind so I could understand it. I'll quote some 
scholars again, and then what I want to do is give an example. So what is this about the spirit of the man that is in him? What is that about? And what does God know that we don't know that can be found out? So the, the word things here is uh, just simply a definite article, but it's accusative, neuter, plural. Now, I don't want to speak in tongues in the church without a translator. All right. Thinking ahead. Accusative in the Greek means it's the, it's the, the subject and the object. The object is accusative. So that's what Paul's talking about. Neuter doesn't necessarily imply a certain gender as we think of it, but it means things. And it may, it's agreeing with what Paul's talking about. And plural would give us this translation. The things of a man, or the things that pertain to a man. So I've translated here what pertains to, or it may, and this is more of an interpretation, mean private thoughts. Then the things of God would be parallel to the depths of God in verse 10. So I'm going to quote some scholars and then give you, I hope, a simpler explanation by analogy. Dr. Thistleton, whose material was written in 2000, I think, and his commentary is from the Greek, but it's very well stated. He says this, the point of analogy does not turn on human spirit within slash divine spirit within, but on the possession of an exclusive initiative to reveal one's thoughts, counsels, stance, attitudes, intentions, whatever else is within. In the sense of, says Dr. Thistleton, the sense of hidden from public domain, not in a sense of location. Let me explain a little bit and then we'll do, go further. This teaching, the spiritual man, that I spent years trying to figure out, has an anatomical approach to the inner person. And you have body, soul, and spirit. The spirit is connected to God. The soul is the mind, and it causes a lot of problem. And the body is attracted, according to me, to the outer world. So he makes this anatomical, spatial, locational. And so I spent years trying to figure out what my spirit was saying to me. I never figured it out. In fact, when I studied the Bible, I kept gravitating to what it actually said. But according to me, the things of God are spiritually appraised. I'll read some of it to you. If it confuses you when I do, good. If you understand it, there's something wrong with you. So let me cite a scholar and then give you an analogy. Dr. Fee, by the way, I saved him to last. He published a book, a commentary on 1 Corinthians in 1987. I knew this other material was wrong because of continued failures. In 1983, I began teaching verse by verse of the Bible. I still couldn't say why it was wrong, but I knew the Bible would not let me down. When Fee's commentary came out, then I realized that I, I just didn't understand it and that teachers were taking advantage of me. I'll, I'll cite him right here. 
The analogy itself is a simple one, says Fee, and insists that just as only, the only person who knows what goes on inside one's own mind is oneself, so only God knows the things of God. Paul makes that point by the use of the word pneuma, spirit, because first of all, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and second, says Fee, because it is for him a common word for the interior expression of a human person. Let me stop and give an analogy I thought of. Well, in this particular day, if you go to the store, you're not sure what they're going to have, right? At least we know that. You go into a store and some of the shelves are empty. Some stores are selling things you wouldn't expect them to. Others don't have what you do expect. So let's suppose I go to a store that has a lot of different kind of things. I've said nothing to... No one knows why I'm there. I'm walking into the store, and in my mind, I'm looking for a certain tool to work on a car, but the store has everything. I walk into the store. Have you noticed nowadays there aren't, there aren't too many people around to help you? Like zero? <laughs> so you're in the store, and in your mind, you know I'm looking for a specialized tool that'll take a certain gear off of my car or whatever. Who knows that? No one but me. It's that simple. I know what I'm looking for. I haven't told anyone. They haven't asked, but I know. It's that simple. The person shopping knows what he or she is looking for. No one else does unless there's some outward clue. You don't know. By analogy, the things of God would not be known to anyone but had God, had God not chosen to reveal them. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one who anoints us to preach Christ crucified, who convicts us of sin. So we wouldn't know anything about God anything about what he's done and what he plans to do, had he not revealed it. It's not mystic, secret. Some people get it, some don't, because they're more intuitive or attuned to the world of the spirits. It's revealed. If I walk in the store and somebody is there and I say, I want a 10-millimeter quarter-inch socket, somebody will know what that is. But if I say nothing, they don't know. So that's how simple it is. A little more from Fee. It is an analogy, says Fee, pure and simple. The analogy analogy does not have uh, to do with constituents of personality. Rather, it has to do with our common experience of personal reality. So you don't need to be able to tell the difference between your soul and your spirit to get this. There may not even be a difference. In fact, I don't think there is. But some people say there is. Now let's go to this idea of the depths of God. And here I'll give you some examples. This slide is an overview. I had something like this last week. Here's some of the things we've learned. What are the depths of God? How are they known? Two nine, what God has prepared. We know what's revealed in Scripture. He's prepared a place for us. We know that he's coming again. We know there'll be a future judgment. If it's in the scripture, 
we know what God's prepared. 2.9, for those who love him. Who are those who love him? Somebody that took an oath of poverty and lives in a monastery? Somebody that looks like they're a lot better Christian than we are? Somebody that shows up to church more often than somebody else doesn't? Does? Or somebody, we don't know these things. Those who love him are those who were first loved by God and realized that the love of God is demonstrated most powerfully and profoundly through the Son who came and died for sins. We saw that in John. People have their romantic idea of love. Well, the way I understand God is that everything is good. No, the world's fallen. I know, I know where the kingdom is and where love is. Somebody has a soup kitchen. Well, that's fine, but a lot of people have soup kitchens, and if you talk about Christ, they'll get mad and say, get out of here. We don't believe that. The love of God is most profoundly demonstrated in the Son. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him do not perish. I remember a debate with a liberal, I think it was Walter Martin, I may be wrong, who was debating him. Anyhow, they were checking the mics, and the guy said, go to that verse, and the person debating against the liberal said, do you think anybody is going to perish? He didn't believe that, and he didn't want to answer. So if we're not going to perish, how is being rescued from perishing even pertinent? If you don't understand what the Bible says, you'll go all over the map. The good Lord wouldn't ever send anybody to hell. Is that what it says? So we love because he first loved us. We know because of what he's done. Now, I, at this point, want to give you some examples. I'll start from a more recent one, and then I'll read some things from an older one. Both of these versions, by the way, deceived me at one time. This I printed out from an email I got on December 11th. 2021. This is from Todd Bentley, just so you know. Our new four-day school of secret place, prayer, and intimacy will will focus, says Bentley, on experiencing the intimacy with God you have always wanted. What does that mean? If you're in the Roman Catholic Church, it might be becoming a nun and being married to Jesus. It might be taking an oath. It might be going into some cave and waiting and see if God shows up. What does it mean? Here's what it says. Join teacher Todd Bentley for this first school of intimacy and experience the secret place of God and learn. Here's what we're going to learn. Heavenly access. Do you have that? Well, actually, we do. It's called the throne of grace. But if all believers have access to the throne of grace, why do you got to go to school? Pray, God will hear you. Heavenly access, prayer, contemplation. Now, prayer we believe, but he has a different version. Contemplation, soaking. See, God doesn't hear you because you haven't soaked long enough. And soaking. Stillness. Well, a lot of this, contemplation, soaking, stillness. What does that mean? Mystical Christianity? Emergent, some of these things. Entering the Spirit. Well, if we have the Spirit by the grace of God, 
then who, why do we need to go to the school to learn this? Keys to encountering his presence, capital P, presence. What does that mean? Here's one. You're going to love this one. Ecstasies. Do you have that? Some days I surely don't. Like going to, the, going to get your uh, whatever you wanted from the store and it's empty and no one wants to work there. Fullness of Christ. Well, we already have that. So there's going to be an impartation. So that's one version. Here's the 1930 version. Watch with me. This is the one to see me. I'll quote a few of these things and then we'll move on. These passages I'm interested in because it's based on the very verses I'm teaching and preaching right now. 1 Corinthians 2.9, 1 Corinthians 2.10, 1 Corinthians 2.9 through 3.2. We're going to cover this, so we'll come back to it. I'll quote a few things. Watchman Nee. This was written in the 30s. He thought he was going to be martyred, so these were translated from Chinese to English and published in the United States. Let me read this. From me. Our fellowship with him is experienced in the deepest place of our entire being, deeper than our thought, feeling, and will, even in the intuition of our spirit. So that's a similar idea. So I believed at one point that there's some intuition of my spirit that's deeper than thought, and that if I'm a spiritual man, or woman, I'm a man, so a spiritual man, I'll figure that out. So I tried. It, it didn't work very well. But I go to the Bible, and that made more sense than my spirit did, but I, I kept trying. Let me quote some more. A, clo- a close scrutiny of 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 3, 2. That's our verses in the coming months. Can provide a very clear <clears throat> view, says Nee of how man communes with God and how man knows the realities of God through the Spirit's intuition. So the realities of God, rather than shown objectively to all people, believers appreciate the significance of it, but Christ's crucifixion was a public event. The resurrection was seen even by unbelievers like the guards. Someone in a cave didn't somehow intuit Christ crucified. It happened. He goes on, taking this verse 9. What no eye has seen or heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God's prepared for those who love him. Nee says the larger context of this one verse speaks of God the things of God. What he has prepared can neither be seen or heard by man's outward body nor conceived in his inward heart. The heart of man, says knee, includes, among other facets, understanding mind, intellect. Knee claims man's thought cannot envision God's work, for the latter transform, transcends the former. So you can't think about it. One more th- statement. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Here's his interpretation. This revealing is not acquired after much thinking, for our heart cannot even conceive it. It is a revelation. It does not require the help of our thought. Man's spirit, another part says, 
as well as God's Spirit apprehend things directly. So we have to have this faculty, he explains, of intuition. So how do you figure that out? I mentioned to several people, before I came to the Lord, I was studying chemical engineering at Iowa State University, and evidence showed me that God had to have created the world because of the complexity. The last class I took was physical chemistry, where we were required to learn differential calculus from math and then apply that to the electrons and the the subatomic particles. And that was so complex, and the teacher said he was a pure scientist and we were engineers, so we were lesser. I know you engineers are here, but you can't understand this, and so he'd write it all out there. The average of these juniors was 33% on the test, so he sent us home with Ds and Cs. and I wasn't very happy with that, but so be it. But that was, is something that somebody could learn. This is something that no one can learn. I, w- I spent more years trying to figure out what my intuitive spirit meant and getting nowhere. Had I spent a couple of years on differential calculus, I could at least got somewhere. So how can the things of the spirit be so difficult? Hardly anyone can learn it. But Washmani, he knew what it meant. Silly me, I'm too stupid, I can't figure it out because I'm trying to rationally think. Imagine that. It says if we go back to the Tower of Babel, if there's something that's better felt than felt, and it's intuitive and it can't be expressed in words and the, the inner spirit of the man is trying to tell your thought life but the thought life is going to get it wrong, what do you do? When it got too frustrating, I went out to the garage and learned how to repair cars. That I could do back then. Now I just get ripped off because I'm too old to tear all the cars apart. So Bentley, knee from their material. Now let's get to what it does mean. It's far simpler than stating words and claiming that you know what they mean or having more faith in other people, getting revelations, soaking stillness, whatever. It's believing what God said objectively. So here, are, so I put some things off and added some more as we go through. My claim is, and I believe I, I can prove it from Scripture because it's right here. What is it that's revealed? That the intuition of the human spirit joined to the Holy Spirit is different than anything you could Think about, no. It's Christ crucified. The word of the cross, what is that? Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. The word of the cross, preaching what God did for those who believe. The message preached, what's that? A different message? No. It's Christ crucified. The power of God. What is the power of God? I said last week, it's not a system of Sound that's so loud it knocks you right out of the auditorium. Power. It's the power of God through Christ to cleanse lost sinners, to deliver us from future judgment, to forgive sins, and make us right with God, and keep us safe as we trust in him. Christ crucified. The wisdom of God. What's that? Christ crucified. 
the testimony of God. We've already shown Christ crucified. Then it says it explicitly, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Jesus Christ crucified. God's wisdom in a mystery. False teachers go, see that? This mystery. You don't know it because you're not intuitive enough. No, it's Christ crucified. What God has prepared for believers, some is revealed, the rest, when we get to heaven, there's more than we know now, but what's revealed, we believe. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. If I go to prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you to myself. Can you believe that? Do you believe it? Some did, but Judas didn't. Judas ran off and betrayed Christ. So now the one that confuses people, the deep things of God. So I figured when I was deceived, other people know these things. That's kind of rudimentary. You know what the problem was? I thought that, yeah, I accepted Christ. I believe that he died on the cross. Now I'm a Christian. And I was because God changed my life by grace, but I wanted to know the depths of God. It had to be something different. So I went into every version of the depths of God that was being offered on radio and books, joined a group that was more pious than others, and in the end, all there was left to do was go back and start studying the Bible and stick with what I could understand, which is what God revealed. If you know something so profound that ordinary Christians will never know what it is, it's not right. God didn't prepare things for the hyper-pious, the intuitive. He prepared things for those who love him, and we love him because he first loved us. Now, let's do some implications and applications I'm going to do some reviews and previews as we go through 1 Corinthians. I noticed that Luke does that so beautifully inspired scripture. I don't inspire anything other than I can understand what the scripture said. But uh, the fact is that reviews and previews help people learn. In Early in Luke, he previews what's going to happen. Later in Acts, he reviews what God said in the first part of Luke. Unity comes from objective truth, not mystical experiences or claims of superior piety. As a matter of fact, that we can't even know that. Who's more pious than somebody else who knows Christ? Is that for us to know? Only what is objectively revealed in Scripture will keep us safe from specious claims. I had Diane read that, and she said, this is, this is all pretty good, but what is specious? And um, I'm glad you asked. I had forgotten that, and then I realized, well, that's a cool word. What specious means, it seems plausible, but is in fact false. It seems plausible, because the what we're reading here looks like, well, there must be some depths of God. I don't know. In fact, we only know what God's revealed, and what he's revealed is public truth. It is known to all who love him. 
because he first loved them. Wow. We can know what God said. Somebody actually worked at a store and said, what are you looking for, sir? I could tell them. Till I do, they won't. I hope one day people will work, lots of people will work again, and we'll be able to get back more to normal, but who knows? Only God knows the future. 1 Corinthians 1.10, this is review. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul said, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. I covered this a while back. You can look it up on the ggf.church website, but let me do a review. This is revealed truth. What's revealed? What God has spoken, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 and elsewhere, in the Old and New Testaments, inspired scripture, the gospel is public truth, what's revealed, what's revealed by God. How do divisions develop? Well, they always have in church history, and they did even while the apostles were alive. So in Corinth, there were discords, we know, slogans, and I will cover that in the next slide, and schisms. So how do these develop? Because if I know something that you don't know because I have special insight, then you need me or you won't ever get this, whatever it is that makes you an insider. But in the church, revealed truth is for all. Therefore, it's essential that we preach and teach the whole counsel of God Paul mentioned that in Acts 20, and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer is meaningful if everyone has access to the truth and are equipped to be able to discern. Discernment is not mystical, it's objective. So, Trying to find your inner spirit compared to your mind is mystical. Reading the Bible and comparing, and if you have access, we should be able to study and use scholarship so we know what God said. And no one's an infallible interpreter, but the Holy Spirit-inspired authors speak the truth. God cannot lie. So here exhort means to urge, appeal, or it could mean comfort. Here it's exhort. The rest of the verse shows shows that Paul did not mean saying the same words, but being unified in the truth of the gospel and not divided and torn apart. Let me make a statement. The divisions, or tears, literally, are not God's will. Paul is not choosing sides, but rejecting their scheme of various types of Christians. If you know Christ and your sins are forgiven, you're part of the body of Christ, and you have eternal hope. We would like to know who the good Christians are and the bad Christians, the better Christians, 
the worst Christians, the higher order Christians, the lower order Christians. No, that's impossible. That's what people will use to take all your money and make you go join something you shouldn't join anyhow. That's how cults get started. Now, there were these problems. For Paul, I'd heard from Chloe's people that there were. This, I preached on this a while back. You can find that. Let's go to verse 12. I'll, actually, let me read verse 11. It didn't go to verse 12. I have it on my, slide, my page here. Verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Paulos, I am of Cephas, which is Peter, I am of Christ. And Paul says, Christ isn't divided. And the reality is, Paul, Apollos, Peter, were all preaching the same gospel, Christ crucified. But they were choosing sides based on some considerations that, some of which we may never find out, but as we go through Corinthians, it'll become more clear. Parochialism, you know what that word means? I have to make sure I look things up because now everybody has a little phone and they can look it up and fact check me right now. Parochial generally means a private group. And when I was a kid, they'd have a parochial school. That meant a school for the people that go into a certain church. I'm not talking about whether that's valid. But in the body of Christ, you have a group that claims to be superior to others in the same body of Christ and therefore, you have these schisms. So that's why we've got to get back to the authority of Scripture, the priesthood of every believer. Here's my statement. Oh, it's a couple right here. It's clear that Paul and Apollos and Peter all preached Christ crucified. Parochialism leads to false judgments and rejection of the members of the body of Christ. That always happens. Let me make a statement about that. What is likely is that there were claims of superior wisdom, spirituality, and piety behind these slogans. They had boundaries within the church, whereas the real boundary, now hear this, should be between the church and the world. Let me elaborate on that. The world hates us if we love Christ. That's clear. Why? Because we're taken out of the world, meaning the world in its rebellion against God, the world of darkness and sin. And we're required by God to preach the truth and teach the truth and be witnesses. And it's true that the world will always be opposed to the truth of the gospel and the things of God. But when we come to any kind of a Christian gathering or even people that we know around the world, online. The only unity we can find is in the authority of Scripture, the priesthood of every believer, and the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. There's always going to be things to learn, and there are different gifts. And there are people that have grown more in sanctification than others, but that's for God to judge. So the boundary is not between believers, such as Paul has some boundary between him and Paulus. No, 
They have to get back to the same thing. But it's between the church and the world. Let's go to a couple other things here that are previews. So reviews is what we covered earlier. Previews will help us see where this is going. Now, one of the things that was happening was that some were claiming that maybe Paul wasn't the best apostle, somebody else was better. In fact, later in 2 Corinthians, he quotes his critics saying, he's rather unimpressive. What, a, what an inarticulate, not impressive guy. Well, what does that matter? It's, it's making false judgments. Let me read this. The one who examines me, Paul says, is the Lord. Therefore, notice his application. Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the, mo- disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come from God, meaning persons, it's a generic, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness. Oh, how we, throughout church history, wanted to know who the good Christians are. The more pious Christians, the better Christians, the smarter Christians, the ones that have faith to do this, that, or the other things. The more kingdom-oriented Christians, some people say. There's all kinds of ways to divide. But if we believe in the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer, and we search this, the Bible, rather than this, where's my intuitive spirit, there's a way that we can understand. No one is perfected yet. And whose gift is better than someone else's gift? We'll get to this later. I don't know. Wait for the Lord to come. We know what God has given us and what we can do to serve one another. Verse 4, before what I quoted, it says, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, Paul said, but I am not by this acquitted. Some people are bold, self-confident, and doubt that anything could ever be wrong with whoever I may be. I used to be like that. But you get beat down enough, eventually you realize, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Anyone can fail, but we need God. Others are shy, afraid, self-conscious, and need encouragement to even believe that God could use them. Paul addresses this later. The, the, we need one another. We can't save one body, member of the body can't say, I have no need of you. The one that seems less honorable, we bestow more abundant honor, so there'll be no schism in the body. I'm quoting from memory from something we'll come to. So we can't divide churches based on what we cannot know. And we can't require things that God hasn't said or required. Someone mentioned earlier today to me of going to a church where if you couldn't get somehow yourself to speak in an unknown tongue that neither you nor anybody else heard, then you couldn't be part of the church. It's not what it's saying here. You don't have to 
speak in an unknown tongue. You need to learn what God said and speak that. Verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Again, a, a preview. So how do we know what's right? Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. That is the Christian church that had previously... Paul spent a year and a half there, so he he knew Corinth. For your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. I did some research on how to take that phrase, not go beyond what is written. This, I believe, and most of the scholars are pointing this out, when Paul says what is written, he's usually speaking about Scripture, whether it's as it was earlier in verse 8, parts of Old Testament passages, things that were written by authority of apostles that was still in the process. Peter called Paul an apostle in one of his writings. So what is written gives us the authority of Scripture, and the ability to understand the author's intent gives us boundaries not to go beyond. There are other matters that are part of Christian liberty. We've spoken about that. So I can tell you what's the best way to catch a certain fish in a certain lake at a certain time of the year, but that won't sanctify you. It might feed you if it actually works. Or a lot of fun if you like to release them. But that's not special revelation. This is about scripture. Objective, revealed truth humbles us. It should. I'll never forget 2000, I think it was 2008, when we went out to this massive rally. A certain preacher had gathered people from all over the world we're going to have a three-legged stool and solve the world's problem. Church, business, government going to make the world wonderful and Christianized. Trouble is, the three-legged stool ended up not really having legs. And someone was there with me, said, when we got a meeting afterwards, what do you have about forgiveness of sins? Let me make a point on that. What does it profit anyone to gain the whole world and lose himself? Ask yourself this. If the promises of God are true, which they are because God cannot lie, what's more important, eternal life or being successful now? I have to say, Jesus said, the eternal is more important. We must learn to stay in the realm of the revealed in order to avoid harming one another. And honestly, looking back on on this, looking back on those years where I really wanted to be the spiritual man and I wasn't any more or less spiritual or carnal or whatever, 
Getting back to scripture was the only thing that gave me hope. Someone asked today, well, what got you out of that? I have to say, failure. This move came, failed. This claim came, failed. This new move of God didn't work. This didn't work, that didn't work. This failed, that failed. So finally, what are we going to do? Why don't we teach the Bible because God cannot lie? I should have thought of that. And guess what? By God's grace, the deep things of God are in the Bible, Christ crucified. Do you believe that? I do. We'll close with prayer and think about that. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you turned to him? Today, believe on the Lord. Let's pray. pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness, your mercy that you have allowed us to see these things because they're revealed. And I know we would like to know more than what you've revealed, but humble us so that we might just be content that you've forgiven us and made us a part of your family. And I pray that you'd give us protection, grace, wisdom as we live in a world that's more hostile to us all the time. And may we be those who trust you and love one another and pray for one another. Thank you for showing us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. I thought about using Romans 11.33, but it's really a doxology, which was a good benediction. But let me use Jude 1, 24 and 25. For now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you, dear saints. Don't forget, there's a lot of people hurting, suffering, lonely. Think about somebody. Pray for them. Maybe send a card. Whatever you can do. We need each other. God bless you. Go in peace.